Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, a podcast where we talk to performers about their worst nightmare on stage when things just don't go well. You know, whether it's your fault, other people's fault, environmental factors, we're just, we're talking about performing bombs. I am your dubious co-host, Lauren Hutton, and my other co-host... I'm your extra dubious co-host, Luke Fagenbush. That's right. Luke is extra. He is not necessary for this show at all. uh, (laughs) Oh, I I mean in terms of our dubiousness. Oh, you're just extra dubious? Yeah, yeah. Or like extra, like like at a party where they're like, ah, that guy's too much party. (laughs) You're uber dubious. Ooh, that's fun to say. We should have called our podcast Uber Dubious. That that would have been so much better. Yeah, we need to change the name. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly mostly I'm too too lazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of work involved. There's already artwork. You know, we've got a central theme. There wasn't. There weren't words on the artwork on purpose. <laughs> I, if I recall correctly, that's right. Yeah, we're like, come January, we might want to redo all of this, and we we want to save this amazing thing that our friend Shankweiler oh, did. I, I don't think we'd ever keep this title. I don't think we ever thought we'd keep this title past January. But <laughs> here we are. Who is on the show this week, Luke? Erica Russell. That's right. She's a Cincinnati favorite. She, uh, she's been doing comedy all over the place. Didn't she start in Colorado, or did she just live there for a while? Am I, am I crossing? I, I believe she started in Colorado. She's been in L.A. doing comedy. And also, which takes up a good bit of the podcast, she was out in L.A. and drunkenly answered a Craigslist ad and was on a reality show, The Glass House. Yeah, you know that old cliche where you drunkenly respond to a Craigslist ad and wind up on TV? We've all seen that showcase show before, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the classic L.A. story. Go out to L.A., get drunk, answer Craigslist ads, and it goes well. (laughs) Yeah, we talk about her experiences on the show, what it was like, um, and, and and obviously, you know, bombing stories, the random, uh, not random, you know, the usual crap that we do on this show. We're a real high caliber operation around these parts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Extra dubious. <laughs> Extra dubious. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Uh, just a friendly reminder. Uh, if, if you're listening to this on the radio, you can check out the uncensored version on iTunes at your leisure. You don't have to tune in at a specific time. Uh, yeah, we take out all kinds of good stuff. Oh, yeah. All the like, all the best bits. I'm going to say fuck here in a minute. And we're going <laughs> to take it out. And you won't know what I'm, that I'm saying it. You'll have to, you have to l- click and subscribe to find out what word I said back there. Yeah, that's right. Rate the review on iTunes. Leave us a uh, fuck. <laughs> 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 oh man, these are fun. I hope you're enjoying what we're doing. If not, uh, you know, there's thousands of other podcasts that you can listen to. Go there. Yeah, we dare you. <laughs> <laughs> we're never gonna take off. So how's the lawn chair, Erica? Um, It's great. Honestly, I don't know how (laughs) many comedians and and friends that I know at this point know how I have acclimated to COVID. And I live with my parents. I'm 35. It's not something I'm proud of, gang. It's not. 
But, you know, like sometimes after a divorce, you'll have to make certain sacrifices and, and do <laughs> what you have to. Yeah. But like when they were like, okay, there's a plague and you're going to have to stay in your house. I was like, but. But, but but it's my parents' house. Like, <laughs> You're telling me I have to stay in my parents' I, house. But like, that's no, not fair. But no, but no, no. Yeah, like I'd rather risk my life with a virus than spend more than a week maybe there. And the thing is, like, I have been working as a hospice aide and a nursing aide in a nursing home. And I had finally saved up enough money. Like, I'd rebuilt my life from this horrific divorce. And I was about to move out, like, right when this thing hit. Right. In, like, you know, February, March. And so I was like, well, guess I'm grabbing a Snickers because I'm not going anywhere for a while. <laughs> and I just started, like, my brother also lives at my parents' house. My brother's a 37-year-old attorney. Um, he has his own wife, who is a professor in Chicago, who has a two-year-old. And then my brother has two other five- and seven-year-olds my niece and nephew from his previous marriage. So the Russell house has been a very full house during quarantine. Yeah. Sounds like it. It There is no quiet. There's no. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to live in my car. I'm going to live in my car. I'm going to put two lawn chairs in the driveway. And that's where I do all my work. And that's like pretty much what I've done. And it's worked out well. Like it's, you know, I've gotten back to nature. Hell I yeah. really dig it. Like, I've been out here in my lawn chair office, as my whole family calls it. They're like, don't go into Erica's driveway lawn chair office. I'm like Hank Hill, but with no friends, you know? I'm just sitting out there, like, talking just, to myself. Are you just keeping a space heater out there as the weather gets colder? Or do you That's have what, no, everyone's very concerned about this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm moving. I'm moving. I just uh, I just went and looked at an apartment yesterday and put an application in. Hell yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. But, uh, yeah, it's the lawn chair office definitely got me through. It got me through <laughs> this crisis period. I got the space I needed, the silence I needed. And everyone in the family is, like, afraid to disturb me when I'm out there. Because I, I, like, real? hiss at them like a snake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm man. like, this is my office. You have to knock. Like, you have to you knock. Know. <laughs> what do they knock on? The sidewalk? The air. Next? Oh, there just, you go. Just there the empty go. air. Just click your teeth together and wave your fist at me like there's a door <laughs> in front of your face. I have another lawn chair, too. I have two lawn chairs next to my car. I go into my car if it starts raining or if my phone starts dying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, and, uh, in times when you're rebuilding your entire life because you've gone through something like a divorce or anything like that that just completely rocks your whole world, you have to do everything that you can just to maintain your own sanity. Like, yeah, anyone do. who's gone through that knows exactly what you're talking about. But that, it's super kudos, man. Like... Not only were you in a place where you were about to get out of it and then the whole world shut down, and like you're you're on the cusp of getting out of it again. I'm super happy for you, Erica. That's yeah. awesome. How how far apart was the plague and the divorce? Like were you just getting on your feet? Or No, I mean I think and most people know this because it's a feature of my act, but um unfortunately my first marriage, um, my husband was physically very abusive. And uh, he went to jail, and I got a restraining order, and I got away. Hell, that's um, good. 
healthy took moves. Some doing. I was Team in a winning America. shelter for a while. Um, it's uh, like I, I talk about it because one in four women will experience this in their lifetime, right? They're not talking about it, but they will. Right. And so that the divorce was finalized, I think, in February of 2017. Okay. Um, and then I moved home. <clears throat> I would, yeah, I guess I don't wait, but I also want to go back and just point out that like I had been when COVID started, I had been a state tested nursing aide. So I was working in a nursing home and doing PRN hospice care. But when COVID started, my father is a retired physician. He's like in his mid seventies now, as is my mother. Right. And I'm also on, I have to be on these shops for an autoimmune disorder that severely impacts my ability to fight off infections. Like I'm on really, really powerful immunosuppressants. Uh, so gotcha. it, it was rough because when this whole thing started, I was working in that capacity, but my dad is like, Erica, you're in the most contagious environment possible. Right. Yeah you know, with, and my, my doctor who gives me the shots even called me himself and he was like, you can't be working in that scenario. Um, and I just wanted to say that because I have so much respect for, you know, I know a couple of female comedians who also work as nurses. Gwen Sunkel is one of them. What's right. going on back there? Oh, do you hear my cat? That awful howling sound? That's my that cat. Might be one, normal. <laughs> exactly. Normal. Friend of the pod. I honestly thought that was like your girlfriend or, what you know, no, no, she makes I'm very different an noises. Um, I thought it was someone locked in a basement. I mean, that sounded in pain. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's normal. That's literally the noise he makes when he has a toy and he wants to play. He's fine. Everyone is fine. <laughs> yeah, it sounds super playful. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, every podcast no. I have ever had has had Nermal on it because he doesn't <laughs> shut up. If you hear that noise and go to play, you're going to get trapped in a well. Oh, yeah. That's... <laughs> you're going to get trapped. Yeah, but anyway, no, I just wanted to say, because I feel bad like talking about that because I, I felt terrible dropping out of it at the time. But for me, the risk factor was just too large. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, your own health and safety is priority. Right. I got lucky with like a, um, I used to be a writer up rocks in Los Angeles in the branded content department. Right. And then my old boss from there called me up like maybe I'm going to say it was like May and was interested in knowing if I wanted to do some remote writing work. So. Oh, no kidding. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah perfect it, timing. It, it landed in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been very busy with that, like gotten back on my feet financially. But um, I would like to send a special thanks to not only all the comedian ladies I know who are nurses, like Anna Mazza also right. is um, going to that field. I mean, they risk their lives every day. Oh, and yeah. They get up and on Gwen stage. Uncle. Yeah. That's more than I thought. Yeah. There's a few of us. Like there's another one I met. I forget what her name was, but um, there seems to be a, a weird intersection of hospice nursing home workers and female comics and i thank them all <laughs> <laughs> yeah hospice specifically yeah yeah the, i mean it's... i think the the sense of humor comes in handy for sure 
Yeah, being able to look at like some of the darkness of the world just as far as like, you know, your body decaying on you and being able to maintain any sort of positivity in that. Like any any type of person that goes into that sort of work has to have a certain mindset and a certain mm-hmm. like, you know, archetype to them and how they deal with stress and pain and, and, and death and disease and all of those things. Because if you don't, that type of work will ruin anybody else. Like just yeah. mentally, physically, everything. Um Yes. Like most of the women in my family have, have worked in nursing homes in some capacity, whether it's like as an STNA or a nurse or, God, or love a medical aid. And uh, and then it got to our generation and my sister tried to go into that work and she ended up being a security guard. So it definitely takes a certain type. <laughs> uh, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Uh, <laughs> the burnout factor. The burnout factor for is, sure. is very real. Um I mean, you leave, and also, like, the shifts generally are 12-hour shifts. Right, yeah. So, you know, when I was at an actual nursing home, I was doing 7 to 7, either, you know, a.m. to p.m. or p.m. to a.m. So, it's just, yeah, I mean, like, you change 30 adult diapers of dementia patients in the course of that shift, if you're good at what you do. Exactly. And the problem is, a lot of the nurses who went on the floor before you, or nursing aides, I mean, they didn't do their work. So exactly. You're, you're fighting a 250 pound dementia patient male who doesn't, you know, you're trying to change his diaper. Like that's <laughs> a rough thing. Like yep. people like Gwen Sunkle deserve a special place in heaven. They deserve a throne in heaven. Like, um, I, I don't know how she does comedy and does that all day. I mean, she's a nurse, so she probably is further removed from the more, nursing aid tasks at this point but so many times mm-hmm. on the floor you know you'd have to pull a nurse if you couldn't do it yourself right i mean and i'm just i'm in awe of people big. who yeah you have to maintain your sense of humor to be good at that job yeah. and it helps the people that you're helping you know like because a lot of times you have to be like you know you have to talk to the family and try to soothe them you have to talk to the patient and try to soothe them and humor um is definitely a huge asset to have but I was a little heartbroken when I couldn't do that job anymore because I felt like, you know, I mean, I like making money just writing stuff, but I, I felt like I was making a difference in people's lives and I couldn't do that anymore very suddenly. So I moved out to my lawn chair office. <laughs> now, I'll note, I noticed that the same stereotype doesn't exist with male comedians. They're not a real caring no, lot. No, they date <laughs> nurses. That's what happens. They don't care. They need someone to care for them because we're all giant babies. That's the archetype yeah. there. Male comedians are just like burnouts and bartenders. For and... sure. For sure. I'm dating a nurse. Andrew Rudick dated a nurse. Like the list goes on. Like we're all giant babies. Really? Ba- yeah. Leah is currently pulling a double shift right now. Um, this she, is fascinating. She went in at There's 11 totally p.m. There's totally a correlation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm a, I'm a giant baby narcissist, and I need someone that has a huge level of caring in their personality archetype to be <laughs> able to deal with me. And she does it very, very well. And most of the Aww. time, I don't drive her completely insane. So it's it's great. <laughs> Aww. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's um actually my my former boss told me once. And, you know, he's not a creep, so it didn't sound weird, but he was like... <laughs> Way to preface a story! <laughs> I don't know, Just a lot of my bosses guys, were creeps. He's not a molester. <laughs> no, otherwise, this would have been a creepy comment, but he said... He said to me what, too, he was like, Erica Russell, the 
weird mixture of sex, death, and humor you offer is downright tribal. You would be a shaman. <laughs> okay, you did need the preface. You 100% needed to yeah, say that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Out of context, that is super creep material yeah. right there. <laughs> no, sex, death, and humor, dudes. That's what I do best. That is so funny. Oh, man. So, on the humor side... Let, let's transition to, into like, you know, now that we've got like some nice backstory for anybody that doesn't know where you come from and, and, and what you've been through in the past couple of years. Uh, how long have you been telling jokes on purpose? I believe it was. I think it was February of 2011. OK, gotcha. Gotcha. Coming up on a decade. Yeah. Congratulations. I uh, I dropped out of law school to be a comedian. No kidding. I did. How long were you in law school for? The hardest part. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like one, one L is the worst, and then like two L and three L are kind of coasting by comparison. But Wait, what I is was this? a year and a half in. I was a year what and a half into law. What is this L system? Yeah, that, I'm confused I don't know why they call well. it. It's just, it's just a term they use. I don't, it doesn't make sense. So- Law school's three years, right? So if you're in your first year, you're called a 1L. If you're in your second year, you're called a 2L. If you're in your third year, 3L. Gotcha. Oh, does it stand for law? D- one law. I don't know who decides law. these things. <laughs> one like... law, one man, <laughs> one woman. Yeah, 1L's really the only one with the catchy tagline. <laughs> <laughs> Two laws. Uh Okay. <laughs> this is like <laughs> the other night, though. I was pitching Luke on a movie in my head called Wife Savers, starring Liam Neeson and Harrison Ford. Oh yeah! <laughs> I didn't kill my wife. Neither did I. <laughs> the tagline was two men, two wives fighting for their wives' lives. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that. That's amazing. I'm a sucker for anything that rhymes. Like, I, I, There's a reason I don't produce other people's content, because if you rhyme your pitch, I'll say yes every single time. <laughs> I am a sucker for rhyming. It, uh, me too, but like, I, I think it, it's the highest form of being any... I mean, Look, I'm also a sucker for rhyming, but oh wait, we have really gotten off track. It's so easy to do with me. It is so easy to do with me. Okay, so I dropped Let's out talk of about law school rhyming. to be a comedian. I dropped out of law school to be a comedian. I was halfway through law school. Um, I was at, I was in the top like twenty percent of my class. I was doing very well. No kidding. Yeah, um, I was a fellow at the Ohio Innocence Project as well, which was a very impactful experience for me. Um, you basically apply like every state now has their own innocence project, which is usually run out of one of the state's law schools in Ohio. It happens to be the university of Cincinnati. Okay. And so I was accepted as a fellow into that program. And I, uh, what is the, what does the innocence project do? Oh, were you about to say that? <laughs> I think anyone who watches like murder porn or anything like investigation discovery has probably heard of the innocence project in their state. But it um, it takes on post conviction cases of men in prison. Well, we had a couple women, but mostly males in prison, mostly black males in prison, um, who have been wrongfully accused and convicted of crimes that they did not commit. Um, and 
basically they have exhausted all their appeals at that point. So the only way that they're going to get their case back into court and get exonerated is by law students working with staff attorneys to try and get their case back into court, usually trying to take old DNA evidence and get it tested to get them exonerated. So I did that. Okay, so basically guardian angel, superhero type shit. Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) Sounds about right. But then I like, I realized, I don't know, I got halfway through law school and I was just like, I don't, I, I, I don't feel like long term this is what I want to do. I mean, I think, honestly, I think the reason that I was like, I have to just cut and run and I don't know what it was. That's a lie. I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie. I told Ryan Singer about this, you know. Ryan Singer, the comedian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I did a Ryan Singer's podcast once called Me and Paranormal You. I was like in the very early days of that podcast. And, um, okay, plug in other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. I'm in advertising. I'm trying to build as many layers in here as I can. <laughs> no, no, it's a very good podcast. Go out and listen to it. <laughs> No, but I mean, it, it, like that was the first time on his podcast. I think I talked about why I made that decision to drop out of law school when I was doing well, et cetera, to be a comedian. And I think one day I was walking home from like a trivia game, you know, at like a college town bar. And I was walking back to my apartment and I swear to God, this field of dreams voice came into my head. And it, it's only happened a couple other times in my life. But I literally heard a voice and it said, chase the muse off the cliff. Oh, my God. That's deep. I dropped out to be a comic and everyone thought I was crazy. My parents filmed me at first. Uh, I moved to Denver and then ended up on a reality show after that on ABC. That was a fluke. Um, But I, I can honestly say, like, I've never regretted the choice. Yeah. I think, you know, my brother's an attorney and he's a very committed, dedicated attorney. Um, it, it really is his passion. And I think that might have been part of it, too, was seeing him be so well suited to this profession and knowing that I'm really not. <laughs> yeah. So what did you see in that that made you realize that you weren't as far as the brother thing goes? Were there like skills or something or where he was enjoying stuff that you were like, nah? I think I'm just, I'm somebody who I really have to be creating on a consistent basis in order to be happy. Mm-hmm. And, and law is a very arduous and disappointing profession. I mean, especially yeah. after you've tried to get these guys' case back into court when they've been sitting behind bars for 20 years and there's, you know, property evidence sitting in a police locker with bloodstains on it and you can't even get that tested to get this guy out of there. Like yeah. it's, it, it takes a huge emotional toll that I knew I wouldn't have in me. And I, if I went for the more sort of, because if you represent guys like that, you don't make a whole lot as a lawyer ever. Right. Yeah. Ever. Um, it, you know, it's the people doing like divorce cases, family law, um, corporate law, probate law, all that, like those guys make money, but I didn't just want to sit behind a desk, you know, yeah we pissed at each other all day 
maybe I'm dumb, but it seems like doing law creatively is the equivalent of doing it badly. Like, if you, like, make up laws and stuff. No, but, like, there's a lot of comedians who also went to law school. Dimitri Martin graduated from NYU Law. Really? I did not know that. Greg Giraldo went to Harvard Law. It's um, it's a very similar skill set if you think about it. Look, I won moot court my year because it's you're doing the same thing as a stand-up does if you're a good trial lawyer, aren't you? You're just trying to win over a crowd, right? Exactly, Lauren. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's, that's exactly what it is, Luke. You are literally performing. I didn't know this until I sat on a jury and I watched how the lawyers talked to us. And this was before I even started doing comedy, but like... It, it it's so far from uh, you know what you think about uh like being a lawyer would be but you're literally performing to an audience of 12 and trying to win them over to whatever it's side you're exactly, on exactly exactly the same thing that you do in stand up yeah. yeah yeah like me like, like me enough thing. to believe me <laughs> my favorite thing though in law school was like you would all sit there i mean i went to law school when everyone had a laptop right yeah. And so you'd be taking notes in torts or contracts or whatever, and you'd be in this huge lecture hall with like, you know, 100 and 150 other law students. And what I like, my favorite part of it was I would write some Facebook status that was making fun of the professor who was currently talking. <laughs> <laughs> and I could watch. I could watch because, like, the lecture hall was arranged in this, like, semicircle, and I'd sit on the end so I could watch it, almost like the wave at a baseball game. People would see it and laugh. They would all laugh gradually. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I would. I just want to do this. amazing. What a wonderfully tangible epiphany moment. Like, you were effectively live tweeting your classes and watching the reaction. That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> also, I know we just bounced over the reality TV thing, but... I think a lot of people would be curious about that. Oh, talk about bombing. We can talk about bombing. <laughs> I came in second place. <laughs> <laughs> to a Republican cop from Toledo. Oh, my word. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's bombing. It's bombing on a major scale on ABC primetime television. <laughs> what, was the, what was the reality TV show? So the reality show is called The Glass House. Uh, the only reason I ended up on it, because I would never, I mean, I wanted to be a comedian, but I never wanted to be on a reality show. Like, yeah. I don't watch them. To this day, I've never seen an episode of Big Brother. Uh, but I was hammered after a stand-up set I had done in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> and then. And I was on Craigslist. <laughs> It's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> so, like, at this point, I dropped out of law school. My parents were like, you're disowned. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and so I moved to Denver with my friends, Katie and Emily. I was living on an air mattress in their living room, uh, just starting to do stand-up. And Denver stand-up was so amazing at that time. God, I got lucky starting there. Uh, you know, like Sam Talent, Ben Roy, Kate and Holland, Orvid Dahl. Yeah. Jordan Dahl, Chris Sharpentier, Nathan Lund. 
I mean, it was just an embarrassment of riches as far as like a place to start. But I digress. Anyway, I uh, I had had like a really good set at this at the uh, Denver Improv. I was really drunk. I took a cab home. <laughs> I don't remember anything after that until I wake up on my air mattress I'm living on in my friend's apartment to my phone ringing, and it's this lady. And the lady is like, "Hi, Erica." And I was like, "Yeah, what?" <laughs> and the lady is like. This is Cassie from ABC Casting. We love the email you sent us and we'd love to interview you. I was like, about what? <laughs> she was like, the reality show. We're doing your reality show. The one you sent an email about last night. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, what the fuck? What did I send you? <laughs> Rapidly trying to open your sent mail folder. <laughs> yeah, dude, I had no recollection of this. Zero. <laughs> and so I schedule the next interview with, like, one of the supervising producers on this show. And I'm just laughing my ass off, like, getting up from my air mattress, walking downstairs, and Katie and Emily and I are making breakfast in the apartment kitchen. I'm like... You guys, I think I got blacked out and applied for a reality show last night on Craigslist, <laughs> and they called me. And so the whole thing just kind of like snowballed from there. <laughs> it was like a joke, man. They were like, you're never going to make it through. I was like, yeah, dude, they have a psych evaluation at the end round of casting. There's no way I'm going to pass that shit. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so I was fully confident that this whole thing was like, you know, a sort of it would never happen and then it did and all of a sudden i'm on i'm on a primetime abc reality television show God. we were on right after the bachelorette it was in the summer of 2012 oh my god uh, and so there were 14 strangers living in a glass house hence why it was called abc's the glass house um Kenny Rosen, who was the executive producer of Big Brother, came over to ABC to do this show. Ah, and okay. it almost didn't go to air um, because CBS was suing ABC, saying it was too close to Big Brother because Kenny had done that. But <clears throat> so it did end up like, I mean, it ended up going to air. But um, I mean, the audience voted every week, like the American viewing public voted every week as to who they wanted to keep in the house. So it was essentially like a, a popularity contest. And yeah. I, uh, I did not think I would win it, but apparently, I mean, I was easily the chubbiest, most foul mouthed and bad at the challenges of everyone <laughs> in the house. <laughs> easily. I mean, you got, you got second. I, I don't know. If America I just that. kept voting me in. Like, <laughs> What were some there of the like challenges? There was like a Playboy model. There was a Mormon mom. <laughs> there was a black woman whose like whole family had been devastated by Hurricane Katrina, and they were like, "No, Erica, we want Erica." And I was like, "What is wrong? <laughs> what is wrong with you people?" I mean, the the Hurricane Katrina lady, she kind of stands out as she the one person first. who needs it. <laughs> she was like, out first. Are you for no, real? You make us yeah, sad. Yeah, America has no heart. Oh, America has no wow. heart. <laughs> I was not like I was not as surprised as everyone else at the election of Trump because I know how this works. Yeah, <laughs> you were you were on the front lines of this, like in 2012. Holy crap! What were some of the challenges that they had you do in the house? 
oh, the challenges were very interesting. And the thing is, like, people think of reality shows like where you're in a house, but we were inside of an ABC soundstage. We didn't have Sky. Like, oh, my if you God. Made it, if you made it all the way to the end, you had been living indoors for three months. I mean, it was 12 weeks. And just like a cave creature with black eyes and white skin. You do. I mean, people start to go really nuts in the first part of it because your circadian rhythms get all screwed up. Yeah. You don't have the sun and the moon and your natural rhythms and stuff. So, like, we were on mandatory vitamin D supplements. Uh, they installed, like, this fake sunlight that was supposed to mimic the beams of the sun and another fake moonlight that was supposed to mimic the moon. And that made everyone a little more regular, but people lost it real quick. The challenges, for the most part, were like, they were, really, if there's any good part of the show, I think it was the design of the challenges, because they they were mostly about communication skills in a team scenario. So you had to have some physical fitness for some of them. Yeah. But, I mean, the me- the median age of the cast was like 33, I think. I mean, it was... It was sort of like a survivor demographic cast, you know, like our oldest, I think, was 55 and the youngest was 21. Gotcha. So the challenges combined communication skills um, with some physical skills and some, you know, feats of mental strength. Huh. So was any of it like scripted at all? No. Uh, our show was not scripted at all. I didn't really expect that, actually. I thought we would be fed lines, but we were never. You didn't even, like, get any prodding or anything from producers? or No, no. You would. That's really cool. You'd be living in the house, like, just living with other people. And then it was very much like the Wizard of Oz, sort of, because you'd just be in the house, and you never saw the producers who were asking you the questions, like, when they do what's called confessional footage in reality shows where the contestant is speaking directly to camera. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, that we would get like, you'd be in the house and you just hear over the PA system, Erica, Erica, please report to confessional. And you're like, okay. You're like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and, and in, in episode one, they said that to me when I had zero makeup on and I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you need to give me time to paint my face on dude but yeah no in episode one i'm totally free of makeup because they wouldn't they're like no you need to come now i was like okay shit this is sounding less like reality tv and more like the stanford prison experiment like it kind yeah. of like oh my it, god it was a little bit like that but yeah you never got to see the people asking you questions until after we wrapped um Wow. You would just get this disembodied voice saying, like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Um, we broke production one day a week. We haven't even gotten into me bombing stuff yet, guys. Oh, this is fine. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> this is already an amazing episode, even if we get okay. to stand-up bombs or not. Like, I'm perfectly all right Let, with what we're doing. Let's tie it kind of together. And did you ever feel like you, you bombed on the show where you did something and the audience was going to be like, okay, we're voting her off? Um, constantly. Every yeah. single week. <laughs> And it Every just kept not week. happening. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked. And the thing, when you say like Stanford prison experiment, it was, it was really weird, dude. Like, so the final round of casting, we were all flown into the LAX Marriott, right? 
Right. And you had to stay in your room. So you were in what's called hotel sequester. And a PA was sitting outside of your room, making sure you didn't leave. COVID eight years early. Right. <laughs> and so we... <laughs> Amen. Nice, nice points on that one. Um, but it was, um, it was super weird. Like you, <laughs> we did, you know, interviews with the casting people. We did photo shoots in case we made it in. <laughs> but I'm not kidding you. They, they put us through four hours like an intelligence test that intelligence testing so like we were in a room doing we did a full mmpi which is a personality inventory that a lot of psychiatrists do i mean it's like a 700 question test seriously and we did a formal iq test and we did our myers-briggs tests and then we consulted with two different um like psychiatrists who were on staff on the production for two hours just independently and I, I think they were trying to gauge our ability to like deal with these conditions right because like initially if you would have told me all of this information before you described like the actual living environment i would have said that that is like massively overkill but the fact right. that you like you said you're living in a sound stage you had no sky that has yeah. very, very, very negative effects on the human condition. So yeah. I almost feel like they didn't give you enough preparation to deal with everything and like enough actual cataloging of how you would have dealt with it. No, I mean, and I think that it was interesting because as the show went on, like, and the producers told us after they wrapped that they had done this, they studied everyone's behavioral stuff and intelligence levels to try to manipulate the game as they went because it was the first and only season of the show. Oh, and wow. so, so if one person in the house tested negatively with focus groups, but kept getting voted back in because they had an especially robust, like grassroots thing or whatever, yeah. it, they would find ways to design the actual challenges to get that person out. Oh, so they could stack the deck against you. Yes, if you and they weren't... did that. Wow. What, so like what, Stephanie, for example, my, okay. my, yeah, my friend Stephanie, she was a 33-year-old chemist for P&G, right? Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati. Right. Um, she was in Mensa. She was easily the smartest of all of us. She was great in challenges. Um, but she was not all that... Well, I mean, she wasn't a hot mess like I was, so she she didn't make great TV. She <laughs> yeah, she was a TV, right? she was a healthy, added together person, which is not fun for America to watch. Not fun so. for America. <laughs> it's like we're watching Stephanie drink milk and do her homework. You know, it's it's not great TV. <laughs> and so what they did, which the producers told us afterward, was in I think it was episode seven they threw this kind of wrench into things where Stephanie had already gotten the lowest votes per the audience. And she knew that going into the challenge. And so they offered everyone, they kept putting up on like the screen that like the only screen in our house, cause we had no TV, no internet, no contact with the outside world at all. Just this one screen that was part of the game. And they said, we're going to put various dollar amounts on the board and you can take any one of them to leave the game right now if you want to. And they knew because of Stephanie's pre-testing 
that she's the type of personality who would take the money if she knew there was already a chance that she was going to get voted off. And so that's how they got Stephanie off the show. So there was stuff like that where the deck was stacked the whole time. Wow. That feels um, ethically grody. I mean, it's reality TV, man. Like, the whole thing is ethically grody. Let's take these people. Let's put them in a box. Let's not have them let let them have any contact with anything, even the fucking sky, and let's see what happens. (laughs) Run them through challenges. Oh, that challenge didn't work? We'll manipulate it so that Bob doesn't, you know, make him fall in the toilet. It'll be hilarious. Like, of course, the whole thing is It's the Hunger Games without death. (laughs) And it was. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. I, 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 my brain is completely baffled by this entire thing because, like, you don't you don't necessarily hear these stories unless you go looking for them of people that have no, been on like, reality I think, TV. I don't think most most shows did not operate this way. I mean, this was very uh, it's just, it was sophisticated. It wasn't just like a bunch of hot people like they do most yeah. of the time doing stupid, predictable stuff. It was. Um, the way they tried to structure the game was really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to tell them that going in, but like, the, I, I can't really even explain it. You would go down in these two hydraulic tubes with a bunch of dry ice smoke. It's like, so whoever got the lowest audience vote that week knew it in advance of the challenge. And it would be what's game captain of that challenge. And then the house itself, the people in it, would vote on who the other team captain was going to be. Okay. And whoever lost the challenge, whichever team captain, whichever their team lost it, they would have to go into what's called limbo. I mean, this is all so crazy. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) No. I went into that production booth. I was like, what are you guys doing over here? (laughs) (laughs) Who's on Coke and why are they in charge? I mean, that's kind of exactly what I said. And the thing is, like, if you watch, like, my confessional footage from the show, I'm always looking straight at the ceiling because that's where the PA was situated. I felt like I was talking Oz, and they would always have to tell me, like, Erica, talk to the camera that's in front of you, not to the ceiling. <laughs> but I was like, you guys, this doesn't make any sense because whoever the audience already voted in as the team captain is going to, they're going to get voted out of the house because you're having the audience vote again. Right, yeah. So why would the lowest first place who is named as one of the team captains, why would they ever not also get voted out afterward. and it was just this long silence <laughs> <laughs> was like, you assume that these people are geniuses you know but they're just like some coked up guys from LA who have an idea <laughs> they managed to get into ABC with it but they don't know what they're talking about and this is like in week one I was like you guys you're really never gonna have an upset okay whoever the house voted into limbo against the already lowest vote getter on behalf of the American public. Like that person's always going to go home, you guys. Yeah. And they were like, well, we'll see, won't we? And we, we did. <laughs> oh, it never to, happened. Cut to them rushing to the writing room. Like, okay, we got to mix some stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> there was literally never an upset because there's wow. no reason. For me. 
And people like the first week that people were in there, they're like, who's my alliance going to be? And I was like, guys, why do we need an alliance? How? Right. What's the point? Because America, right. America's just voting on whether or not they like you. There's a challenge in the meantime, but like, I mean, you can have an alliance to try not to get voted into quote limbo by the house, but like, it's not going to affect anything. Yeah. I was like, no, we're in an alliance. It was just silly. (laughs) (laughs) We have to cling to each other. There's no sky. (laughs) (laughs) The people who went crazy the fastest were the people who had it the most together on the outside. You know, it was like, like the Mormon mom. And yeah. like the person with kids and a family, like the people who were already crazy. <laughs> like we were just like, this is another day in life. You yeah. Know? I was like, eh. this oh, isn't yeah. worse. It's just different. <laughs> it's like the dark night thing. I, I was born in the crazy molded by it. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. That's exactly what it was like. Yeah. <laughs> Me, my best friend in the house was this like six five redwood of a giant gay. (laughs) Like, is still one of my best friends. He was amazing. He's I think thirty five when like I was twenty seven when the show went on. But we knew immediately. We're like, you and me, buddy. We're sticking together through this whole thing. Like in the end, when he started to figure out I was going to beat him, he went real, real mean on me. But we're still best friends. No, we're still like really good friends. It was, he was playing the game. He was playing the game. He had yeah, to. Yeah. He was getting down the wire, and the audience never voted me least. Like I had never been voted by the audience into limbo at that point. So everyone's like, Erica's the one to beat, and they all just like tried to, and they succeeded eventually in making me just crack, because it was like five against one or whatever, but. I don't know. It was crazy. It it was crazy, but it was, yeah, I I felt good. Like, I think I'm one of the only people in America who's ever been on a reality show and been like, you know what? I don't have any regrets. Like (laughs) that, that's a grand prize in and of itself. Like, I don't know. I don't know. What what, what was the prize for the glass house? Like, what were you guys competing for? 250,000, which after taxes, not enough. No, well, not to put something. up with that. I mean, it's a lot, but it's not like that's not going to set you up for life. And under the conditions that y'all were under, like if you make it through the entire game under those weird, strenuous conditions and, and just like the whole the whole concept of the thing that could have lifelong repercussions on like a type of person that's not prepared to deal with it. Someone that's not born in the crazy, so to speak. No, I think that's a perfect way to put it. Um, yeah, it the weirdest part, which I didn't even get to. So production broke one day a week um, just to kind of give everyone a day off because there was this kind of 24, I mean, we were being filmed 24 seven. So there's this ant farm of people we couldn't see working around the set. And so every Sunday we would get let off set. We were all in blindfolds. What? And yes, we were all in blindfolds. We had to put our hands on the shoulders of the person in front of us and a PA would lead the whole line into a van and you had to keep your blindfold on in the van (laughs) for about a 30 minute drive. Right. And then there's gotta be a less sketchy way to do this. You would think so. You would think so. How do you not think they're going to take you all out back and shoot you? Like that is so bad. And that happened once a week. 
<laughs> yeah, once a week. This is how it was done. So I hear voices in other languages. There's a gun barrel in my back. I smell <laughs> rice. <laughs> <laughs> No, so the thing is, you would get to where you're going in the van with your blindfold on, and then you would have a PA who was assigned to you specifically, and you would have to put your hands on their shoulders again while they checked you into the hotel and then brought you into your hotel room. And then once you were in that hotel room, the PA would sit in a chair outside of it, just like they had in auditions, to make sure you didn't leave. So they would give you meals. That, you know, like you could, they would give you a menu and you could order what you wanted, but all you had inside your hotel room was a DVD player, like a portable DVD player and books and your meals. And you could go out for 30 minutes at a time to the pool with your PA. But the thing is the votes and everything, it, it was all being filmed live and America was voting live. So they didn't want any of us to be able to be out in public or seen by anyone who was watching the show. Right. Oh, okay. could then leak the fact, you know, like they could leak the information that so-and-so's off. But just from the point of view of someone in this hotel lobby, eight blindfolded people are let in. <laughs> <laughs> it was the... <laughs> and the thing is, I think they picked like... the hotel for that reason, Luke, because like... <laughs> It was the Burbank Airtel Plaza Hotel. Right? It was not. So that kind of thing goes on the there all the time. Like... It was not the Waldorf. It was. It oh, was human this... traffickers. We're used to that. They pay us off. We're good. It was a like prostitute motel outside of the Burbank Airport. Like you would get into like when you got in the elevator to go for your pool break, like. There would just be 49-year-old hookers obviously giving some businessman a hickey. Like, it was <laughs> <laughs> with just a rum and coke in her hand and, like, a red solo cup. It was not, like, oh a, an establishment that was at all fancy. They were like, we're going to hide these people, and they did. But we all, we all called that masturbation day because in the house, you're being filmed constantly in the house. You can't yeah. masturbate. And it was in our contract. It was in our contract that we could go no further than hugging and kissing sexually with each other. So everyone would just be like, oh, my God, I don't even care if they blind me. I just need masturbation day. Like, <laughs> get me in that blindfold. Take me to the room. I need some time alone with my own genitals to <laughs> help soothe the stress of this outlandish situation. You're telling me out of 14 people, there wasn't one person that was just like, no, these cameras are fine. You go ahead and watch, baby. <laughs> it's better. <laughs> wait, wait, sorry. And this, what, these, what are fine? Did anyone masturbate in the house on camera? Oh, I did all the time, but like in the bed, <laughs> in the bed. It was under the covers. <laughs> yeah, it's like prison. it was actually you it was more develop... intense because I couldn't scream. And, like, <laughs> and the thing is, I didn't tell you, like, a part of this is that the viewers controlled everything. So we were sort of like human sins, right? right that was yeah. like, so the viewers could vote on, for example, like they would vote on what we would have to do. Like one day we had to speak in British accents for 24 hours. One day we had to walk backwards everywhere we went for 24 hours. One day we had like... 
but they would also vote on where we slept. So every week you would come back into the house after hotel sequester and we do the ABC live stream on Monday night. And they would tell you at that point, the viewers would tell you which bedroom they voted you into for the week. And there was the friend's room, the enemy's room and everywhere else. And I was literally (laughs) for the entire 12 weeks, I was never in just anyone's room. I was either voted into the friend's room or the enemy's room with somebody. (laughs) (laughs) So how was the enemy's room? (laughs) The enemy's room was between me and Kevin. Kevin ended up winning. But Kevin and I had some early sexual tension and a makeout session before the producers came on over the PA as said makeout progression was progressing. Uh, uh, somebody comes in with a squirt bottle. <laughs> they literally that. just come on over the PA. <laughs> they come on over the PA in week three and they're like, players, players, please keep it PG. Put your put your hand down. Put that no, no stop no 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 that's uncalled for. <laughs> And we just like, but that made all the difference because at that point, like Kevin and I agree on nothing else. And so he was like, I'm not walking around with blue balls for 10 more weeks. Like, and he's a cop and stuff. So he was like, I'm not, you know, this is not going to affect my whatever. But so then he and I ended up on different quote alliances and it was, we were gunning for each other after that initial sexual tension that was not even allowed to have an outlet if it wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I kept voting Kevin and I into the enemy's room together, and he would sleep on the floor because he's like, I can't sleep in bed with her. I can't, no. Wait, you would sleep in the same bed? There was only one bed in the enemy's room, and the audience kept wanting Kevin and I to sleep in it together. I always got to bed. This is this. There had to be someone who went over that and found so many illegal things. Like you can't do this to people. Yeah, you can't. Be saying, <laughs> you should have seen this waiver, dude. Yeah, I'm already, sure. You have to realize I had already been to law school by the time I got in this show, and I actually viewed the very comprehensive waiver of liability for everything. And I'm like, well, I'm screwed because there's absolutely nothing I can do. Yeah, yeah. And I, but, none of us knew what we were getting into, but like, I'm glad I did it. It was such a weird experience. I mean, just crazy. But then afterward, the best part, the best part was, so Kevin won the show. Kenny Rose and the producer came to me afterward and he said, I'm sorry, we kind of screwed you. I was like, you think Kenny? You think? <laughs> <laughs> He didn't say it because he knew he could have been legally liable, but he said, he said, I just want you to know that the actual votes might not have been an accurate reflection of the outcome of who won. But you have to understand, we were trying to create an upset victory. He's like, we were trying to create an upset. 
so that the bloggers, you know, it would get more publicity in the aftermath and we would get a season two. Oh, I see. Okay. And I was like, Kenny, I knew I signed my life away when I did this. I mean, I collected. And where's $75. your season two, Kenny? Where's <laughs> your season so, two? Yeah, but it was so great that there wasn't one. I mean, I was hoping for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just completely ruined your life. You survived one season of reality TV. Let's not test it. Like, yeah, I'm a comic, you know? Like, I wanted to not be that girl from that show. If the whole thing had been this very popular series, you know, like Survivor, a Big Brother, like, I would have always been to every audience, that girl who won the first season or that girl who was the runner up on the first season. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to be that. Like I wanted the novelty and the fun of this very strange experience, but I didn't want to be a quote reality show star. I mean, I was drunk, blackout drunk when this whole thing happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's right. That's how this all started. <laughs> I didn't try. I didn't try to be honest. <laughs> Oh, my God. So, moving on to stand-up comedy now that we've spent an entire hour. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I'm very no, sorry. I'm you have distracted. nothing. You have nothing to apologize for. Like, seriously, that is one of the best, like, human experience stories that I've ever heard in my life. Like, I... I... <laughs> sorry, wait, wait. Can I end it with one thing, just because this is my favorite? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I'll end out this section of this thing. <laughs> So after after the show wrapped, right, and after the winner was announced, it was Kevin, cop from Toledo. I came in second, but Kenny Rosen told me I probably got screwed. <laughs> and we all of the, the last three contestants, the final three that America picked, we were all stuck in hotel sequester with our families who they had flown in for the finale, right? Okay. So we're meeting everyone's family after, like, you know, hearing about them for three months. And I go outside after the, it was a season finale day. We had wrapped, like I had, you know, I was in good spirits. I was just happy to be out of it. And I go outside and Kevin, the winner, the Republican cop from Toledo is out there crying outside the bar. What? And I'm like, what this are you is crying after he for? Knew you just won a quarter won? million dollars, you idiot. Yeah. And he goes, you know who my dad said his favorite player was? And I was like, me? And he was like, yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was crying about it. Oh, my God. Pulling zero punches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so great. I was like, you know Oh, but that's worth the money to me. It is, Kevin. Yes. It's worth so the money to me. The... Your own father. Your own father. Like, I wish that other girl would have won. <laughs> $250,000 worth of salt in that wound. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All's well that ends well. Okay, comedy. Comedy. Kevin, yeah, I want to tell you two things, Kevin. I'm, uh, I, I, wish, I wish that Erica had won and I never loved your mother. Uh, <laughs> I never voted for you once, you dank bastard. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that money's not going to buy you a dad that loves you, Kevin. <laughs> no, his dad was like Clint Eastwood, too. His dad was like such a badass. Like, if any dad who was like that said something like that to you, I would cry. Like, I, I would cry, Kevin. And his dad was like, I think that you are such a. A, a fine, gentle, funny woman, and I'm very sorry for the way that my son treated you. 
I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh my eat God. it. Eat it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so good. So flipping good. So, yeah, stand up. You've been doing it for like 10 years. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Off and on, though. Off and on. Like, there have been... Um, I was writing for a show called Honest Trailers in Los Angeles for a couple of years. Um, and then, you know, when, when I was writing comedy, I wasn't performing stand-up as much. And especially, like, during my marriage with kind of everything I was going through with my ex-husband. So it's it's been awesome to get back, especially in Cincinnati. Yeah, in Cincinnati, I just, I feel like all of the Midwest, I love this scene. I really yeah. do. But, like, it, you know... There were times I thought, now I'll never get back to that. And then I always do. Yeah, I definitely go through, like, waxes and wanes with that, especially during, like, the last seven months. Uh, yeah. So many <laughs> thoughts of, like, oh, okay, so it's over for me because, like, I didn't really have right. any traction in it anyways, so why on earth would I? I mean, it's it was already an uphill battle. I thought all of comedy was over for a little bit. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> you know Augie Smith? No, I don't know that name. Augie Smith, he's hilarious. He's a comic out of L.A. But he was he tweeted at the beginning of this. He's like, I never once thought in my entire career that being in an industry that requires a crowd would never have a crowd, you know? Yeah. And I think that's how it's like, what a bloodbath for comedians who depend on yeah. their ability to perform to a crowd. So it's just been ugly for everyone, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, especially mentally for people who need that. Times is tough. We all need that and the audience needs it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's coming back to this after this protracted period of not always fun introspection. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh, you mean I have to look on the inside? I don't like anything in there. Like, why? Good job on having some fun moments of introspection. Like, <laughs> yeah, very, very good on you. I don't like anything in there. But Lauren said, I have to look at myself. I don't like anything in there. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. <laughs> oh. Shucks. So, <laughs> no, but it's true. And then, then you go out to like your first show afterward, and then you see someone who's like just defied the odds by working extra hard and coming out with all this like piping <coughs> <John> hot, <coughs> new, <coughs> hilarious. Yeah, 100%. Particular. Yeah, ex thank you, yeah. Lauren. Yep. John Holmes. That was my first <laughs> night John back. John Holmes has thrived. And holy crap, has he done some amazing work behind the scenes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. It's like a different person. Like, yeah. I, I mean, He's always been funny, but the first that I saw him back after, I was like, John, what right? happened to you? Way to tighten <laughs> up. Yeah. Quarantine was just a found cocoon him, The for force him. found him. Yeah. <laughs> I love seeing that, though, because, like, you know, I feel like people haven't taken him seriously so much because he doesn't take himself that seriously. But the fact is, he's he's a brilliant comedian. Yeah, for and sure. And now he's like, he's really coming into his own. And. I'm not, so I, I'm just sitting out here in my lawn chairs. <laughs> no, it's someone I'm who's seen you now, perform. You totally are <laughs> getting back into it. The problem is, like, money found me strangely during this time. Like, because I, you know, I obviously couldn't work in nursing homes or in hospice anymore because of my own immunocompromised state and the fact that I live with 70-year-old parents. Right, yeah. So that was off the table. But I got a... Uh, 
kind of a Hail Mary play from an old writing boss of mine. I used to work in branded content at Uproxx. Yeah, yeah. But the whole the whole department went under, so everyone got laid off. But my former artistic director from there hit me up and, and he was like, Do you want to do some legal and medical SEO content writing? And so that for me has turned into like a a very lucrative and very full time job, which is awesome because I can do that remotely. Yeah. So absolutely. I got very, very lucky. But it's you know, you're you're trying to be like, but I'm used to doing nothing now. I had four months of doing nothing. Yeah. I have to do things again? I'm not used to that. <laughs> Don't make me do things. Uh, so we're we're definitely we're definitely way over on time, but I don't care. Uh, we we have to get at least one stand-up bombing story out of you before we get out of here. So when when you know whenever you were ta- thinking about being on the show, there's always that one that one time on stage that pops into your mind immediately. What was that for you, Erica? Luke hasn't even heard this story, and I have sex with Luke. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know if we were going to address that on the show or not but <laughs> i honestly didn't know if we were so i was kind of leaving it <laughs> ambiguous we're both artists in our own right we're both artists in our own right i'm going i'm going to dinner at his parents house tonight after this by the way uh, i'm meeting his parents for the first time after this oh my gosh good luck they're wonderful people they're very very nice they seem like it. They raised a good man, but okay. Oh, you guys. Oh, <laughs> you just got a little heart warm. <laughs> Here's my worst story ever. Okay, here we go. Up, and it's really good. <laughs> so, okay, this was like 2018. Like, I had just moved back to Cincinnati after my trailer park abusive husband divorced, right? Right. I had just moved back home. I was just getting back into stand-up in Cincy. I had had, like, some really good sets. And I got put on. Wayne Mehmet put me on a Bombs Away comedy show at this bar in Covington, Kentucky. It was a great venue. It was called The Great Debates, I believe. So it was a debate format show where you had to pick another comedian, and then you would debate a topic, right? Yeah, I remember those shows. Yeah, like, mostly just ridiculous whatever. Um when I started in Denver, Jordan Dahl used to run a great show called Airings and Grievances, which is similar. But so initially, my partner was Bridget Denman, who is a hilarious comedian. Um, Love Bridget. Ever seen her. Yeah. yeah. So it was supposed to be Bridget and I, right? And we had like two months in advance to write, you know, decide what we were going to do and then do a debate. Bridget and I chose Titanic versus Iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who had Iceberg? Bridget. (laughs) Bridget. I had Iceberg. And we had had like two months to work on this. And I had worked really hard on it. Anyway, the night before the show, I am in Los Angeles for, I would go back every now and then, whatever. And Bridget calls me the night before and goes, oh, I totally forgot. I'm overbooked. I booked another show in Columbus and I really need to go to that one because I have to get a good tape. I was like, are you kidding me? Oh, no. Like, you're out? And she's like, yeah, I'm out. I was like, I'll kill you. I- <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I am in Los Angeles. I have a five-hour flight tomorrow. I'm going to be jet-lagged and like now I have to find another thing to do. Yeah. So 
Wayne was just like, pick another partner, do another thing. I was like, oh, great. So I picked my friend, Will Moore. I don't know if you guys know him. Yeah. He's a longtime friend of mm-hmm. mine. So I was like, well, I got to do something for this great debate show tomorrow. Great debaters, something like that. Some, it's probably like a pun on masturbation, but I forget the exact title. Uh, yeah. Audience connect the dots. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, I guess I'll do it. And I was like, what should we do it on? He's like, I don't know. And I was like, well, we've got about 14 hours now. And five of those are going to be on a flight. So what do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was returning my rental car to Hertz outside LAX. And I was like, all right, whatever song comes on the radio, that's what we're going to debate. And it was Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult. Perfect. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, let's debate. Because Will and I are both clinically depressed severely. And that's kind of what our friendship itself is forged on. It's just our mutual <laughs> depression. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I was like, Will, let's debate whether or not to fear the reaper. <laughs> Dr. Like, Kevorkian okay. versus Dr. Kevorkian is like okay and I was like which side do you want to take he's like I'm all for fearing the reaper and I was like I'm all for not <laughs> so I am like trying to write this set just on the plane already like I mean I'm drinking Jack Daniels on the plane I'm already jet lagged I'm exhausted I'm already freaked out because I had like this whole great set written. Yeah. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to add a mask into the mix. And so because I went as not fearing the Reaper and I put on this like giant devil mask and it (laughs) like for the set. I got up in it. I really expected like a Reaper cloak, but you just went with the devil. Oh, no, I had a cloak, too. I had a cloak as well. Full regalia. <laughs> so, like, Will gets up just as a person. <laughs> I mosey him up to the stage in a full head mask that's, like, just clinching my neck, you know? Like, I can barely see out of the aisles. I can't breathe. <laughs> It's just, I think it had like light up red eyes actually around it. And like, it was just this black skull and a cape. And I'm trying to do this set that I have written like drunk off a plane that is just not coming together. And it was maybe like three minutes in and Jeff Tate and his brother, Troy Tate, who can't do anything without each other, by the way, it's just the the Tate twins. Like they're in the audience. (laughs) There was maybe like three other people in the audience, but I just, at one point I was like, I can't breathe and I don't know what I'm going to say next. And I just walked off the stage. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) I I walked off the stage. Like, I I don't think a lot of comics have done that. You can have a set that goes bad, right? Yeah. Okay. But unless you're panicking and hyperventilating inside a rubber skull bath, (laughs) (laughs) after a five hour flight, Like, I don't think you know that, like, I I walked out of the room. I was crying inside the mask. I was like, I'm done. (laughs) Do you, do you have, like, a sample or remember anything that you said on stage? Were you just like, yeah, kill yourselves? No, I was just like, I can't breathe. (laughs) And then, like, later, 
<laughs> and just this woman with blonde hair sticking out of a skull mask. <laughs> I was like, I did. I mean, I never even done a show in this format. I was so excited about my my iceberg Titanic stuff. Right. Like, I just. Oh my. Goodness. Circumstances really conspired to screw me, and I just <laughs> gave up. I gave up so hard. I just left the stage, and Wayne Memmott had to get my place and continue where I was at. I mean, that's how <laughs> legitimately oh distressed I was. Yeah. And I just, I ran up, grabbed my purse, started crying, started walking down the street in Covington toward my car. And like inside my mind, my internal dialogue is like, it's fine. You didn't like comedy anyway. You were never yeah. that good at it. Just let it go. Oh, no. You're done. You're never like, oh, like it was yeah. so bad that I was like, I'll never get up again. So I'm going to have to justify myself. That's always the inner monologue Why? of right? a it's bomb. Like, like, I didn't like you'll this never anyway. do it's this fine. again. You it's were fine. never good. <laughs> it's not even a big deal. <laughs> you don't have to be happy. <laughs> it was cool pretending to be a comedian for yes, a while. Wasn't it? it? <laughs> That's my number one. You don't just get up and walk off the stage. Like, I've never done that before. I will never do that again. But, like, Will called me the next day. He's like, are you okay? I was like, what do you think? (laughs) And he was like, I did think it was kind of weird that you just left. I was like, so did I, Will. So did I. It was obviously kind of weird that I just left. Obviously. And then I'm like, I'm hitting up Wayne. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, dude. I'm so sorry that you ever booked me on this, that you had to like. And Wayne just goes, it's okay. It totally happens. I was going to message you. And I was like, it doesn't totally happen. Wayne. Like, I didn't have to make the choice to put a mask on my face and a cape on myself. Uh, and go for broke to this extent. Like, I, I think a reasonable person would have picked something a little more manageable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my! For God. saying that, but it no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it happens because I did it. Yeah, I made this happen. That's what happened. Yeah, okay. I was like, I no this. I don't know how many of these we've done. But two of them so far have included bombing in costumes. Yeah. And that feels so much worse, I think. It's a really good point. Looking ridiculous and also having just had your soul ripped out of your body. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Because there's a big difference between, like, I want to be presentable versus, oh, I have to put on this attire that is absolutely way above I made that choice. I made that choice. I made that choice. Like, I could have gone with something simpler, and I did. Like, I was just like, oh, and Jeff Tate, and I was like, I upset Jeff Tate. I'll never recover. You know what? Like, I got it. Like, I got up again the next week. The same reason you do after you fall off a horse. Like, you really do have to, or that one could have ended me. Like, I think the moral of the story, if if you really take this entire conversation as a whole, what I have learned is that if you publicly embarrass yourself enough, you become invincibly unembarrassable. And that is why it's important. It's important to bomb. And it's important to get back up after you bomb. Because after that, there's not a lot that can really hurt your ego. You've no. been there, you've done that, you got back up. And that's why I love the podcast that you guys do. 
<laughs> Thank you. Oh, man. I <laughs> You know, I keep saying this, uh, but it keeps being true because like this weird project that 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 Luke invited me to be a part of, uh, it it just keeps getting better and better and each episode that we record as we hear all of these stories, I'm just like this this has been my favorite episode that we've done so far. No, now this is my favorite episode that we've done so far. <laughs> Erica, this is my favorite episode that we've done so far. Lauren, it has been my pleasure to do this episode. Oh, good. I'm so glad that you had fun, too. Thank you so much for having <laughs> you guys. Like, it's... But really, though, like, it, it's been a really hard year for everyone. We've all been away from our friends. But it's so good to hear your voice, Lauren. Um, oh. Love you guys. Luke, I'm going to get in the shower now and go impress your parents tonight at dinner. <laughs> love you, too. See you in three hours. <laughs> Sorry, I went over, guys. You're no, the best. You, you're the you're the best, Erica. You take care and uh, t- say hi to Luke's parents for me. I will. I will. I'm gonna wear something buttoned up and bring a cheesecake. Yeah, pro <laughs> moves. Cheesecake in a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Erica. Take care. You too, guys. Love you. Love Stay you safe and well. Bye, bye.